Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today, we continue to answer a very important question Who is God according to God? Today we're going to take a look at who is God the Father. So we need to go back a couple of lessons to something we had previously talked about, how God is triune. We talked about how the Bible describes God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but not as three gods, but as just one God. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They're all 100% God, but the Father is not the same thing as the Son or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the same thing as the Father or the Son, and the Son is not the same thing as the Father or the Spirit. So the word triune was invented as a way to describe what the Bible teaches about God. So we're going to go person by person to talk about the unique characteristics of each of these persons. And we're looking at God as a father today. Now for some, the concept of God as our father is an incredibly comforting concept. But for others, it's not. If you've had a poor experience with a father or no experience with a father, and so just know that when we talk about God as our father, we are talking about a father as he ought to be for his children. In two ways in particular. A father ought to be a provider and a protector. God the Father provides for us. Jesus himself made that abundantly clear in a section from the book of Matthew. It's kind of a longer section, but bear with me. There are a lot of really, really great points to dig out of this section. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Jesus tells us multiple times, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Do not worry about your physical needs, about food and, and clothing, um, things, things to drink. Your Heavenly Father takes responsibility for providing those things for us. And he makes a couple of important points. First of all, in the first verse when he said, is not life more important than food and body more than clothes? He's saying, remember, God gave you your life. And he knows that in order to have life, you need food. Remember, he gave you your body, and so he knows that your body needs clothes. To illustrate the point he's making, just think about if you have a teenager, and if you buy that teenager a car for their birthday, would you ever think of giving them the car without giving them the keys? <laughs> Maybe if they're having a bad day, <laughs> but typically, no. You wouldn't think about doing that. You wouldn't give them something and then withhold something that, would, uh, that they need in order for it to run. 
And Jesus is making the same point about us. God gave us our life. He gave us our body. He knows what we need to make it run and he's going to provide it. And then he says, just, just look around in nature. You know, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass. God provides for them so abundantly and you are far more important than they are. He also makes an important point near the end of that section. Just seek first God's kingdom. Just remember that spiritual blessings that God provides through Jesus are always more important. And just as you don't have to worry about whether or not you are in God's family, because you already are through what Jesus did. You know, God doesn't think you need to worry about your physical blessings, your physical needs. And that's what Jesus is saying. God will provide. How does he provide? A couple of different ways. We're going to look at one, um, to illustrate the first way, we're going to look at one example from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and one from my own life, if you don't mind. In the Old Testament, after the Israelites came out of Egypt and they went into the desert and they were going to be in the desert for 40 years, they had a very natural question. Where are we going to find food in a desert? <laughs> God answered the question. He said to Moses, he said, tell them I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough food for the day for themselves. And so day after day, God was going to rain down bread from heaven. It was raining bread every day for 40 years. It was a miracle. God provided through a miracle, something outside the natural way of the world operating. Jesus did something similar, a famous section of his, recorded multiple times in the Bible, called the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus was out in the middle of nowhere, teaching a whole bunch of people, thousands of people. It says that it was 5,000 men, but that there were also women and children there. So the total number of people could have been 10,000, 20,000, we don't know. We just know there were a lot of people and they were there all day and they were getting hungry. So when the disciples came to Jesus and said, they're getting hungry, we should send them home, Jesus said, nah, let's give them something to eat. And the disciples came back to him with, well, you know, we did our due diligence. We looked for food, but all we found was one little boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish, but that's not going to feed everyone. Jesus said, well, why don't, why don't you try anyway? And so they, they took the five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus thanked his heavenly father for it. And then he gave it to the disciples who piece by piece started handing it out and soon they realized they were never going to run out. There was enough to give to every single person who was there and so much that they ended up with 12 baskets full of leftovers. Again, it was a miracle. Jesus multiplied the food so that there was enough to provide for everyone's needs. I have an example from my own life. It was um, when my wife and I, a couple of years after we were married, when I was a student at the seminary in my last year of seminary, our, our total income for the year was not much at all. I was part-time student, part-time worker. We had two, uh, two children at home expecting our third. And we had about two and a half months left in the school year and we were about halfway through the month and we were out of food and we were out of money. No money left to buy food. When you have little kids in the house, that makes you worry a little bit. And so we felt quite worried one night as we were getting ready for bed. And we couldn't sleep. So we started talking about this and we reminded ourselves of God's wonderful promise to provide for us. Reminded ourselves of the lessons that Jesus taught in the book of Matthew about not worrying, not worrying, doing our best not to worry. And, and then we prayed that God would do what God promises to do. Then we went to bed. Next morning I woke up, went to classes at the seminary, and every day at the seminary there is a chapel service for all of the students, just a short 15-20 minute chapel service. And after the chapel service was done, the dean of students went up to the front of the chapel and made an announcement. He said, I would like all the married students at the seminary to remain after chapel for a little bit, I have a special announcement for you. 
So the non-married students, they left the chapel, all the married students, we stuck behind, and the dean of students said, just want you to know that yesterday in the mail, we received a package from a church in this particular town, and the package was full of grocery store gift cards for all the married students. They put these care packages together, and they wanted all the married students to have some money to buy groceries for their families. And it was enough money to get us through the month until the next paycheck came and we were able to buy some more food. And we didn't have to worry so much then. But really, we didn't have to worry at all. And that, that was a moment in our life, in our marriage, that, that we won't forget. A time when God provided just like, just like he promised. And this is how God provides sometimes, whether it's manna coming from the sky, whether it's the bread and the fish being multiplied, or it's a, it's a gift card that came from members of a congregation that I probably won't ever meet personally until we get to heaven. God provides through miracles. He still does, sometimes. The second way that God provides for our physical needs is the more typical one. He provides for us by simply making things grow. Psalm 104 talks about this. It says, God makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, just the natural order of how he created things, the, uh, the seasons, the rains, the crops, all these different ways of providing food for us. Now, for some of us, this food is right in our backyard and we get it from there. For many of us, it's, uh, it's made somewhere else and there's a distribution chain that gets all that food and uh, the places where it needs to be in order for us to go and purchase it. But... This is the more typical way that God provides for us, by creating an environment where things can grow. That leads to some Bible buzzwords. Um, miracle is a Bible buzzword. It's a, it's a wonder or an unusual happening brought about by God beyond the natural order of things. We're not used to seeing things happen in that particular way. And so when it happens in that particular way, bread coming down from heaven or Jesus multiplying the fish, we consider that to be a miracle. The second Bible buzzword is providence, which is a word we haven't used yet, but it's related to the word provide. <laughs> it is God the Father's activity of supplying everything that we need for our bodies to live. God provides for us. That is called providence. And because God provides for us, sometimes by miracles, more often by making things grow, providing for our physical needs, two ways that we respond to God's providence. Psalm 118 gives us one of those ways where it tells us to give thanks to Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Just reminding us to be thankful and to make the time to intentionally thank God. This, this does something important for us. It, it helps us remember that God is paying attention to our lives. And that's always very comforting, no matter what else is going on. When we make the time to remember, to thank God, it reminds us that God is thinking of us. And then Jesus, as part of a larger discussion, just in Matthew 26, he once said, he said, the poor you will always have with you. And he was reminding us of something that sometimes the way that God provides for someone, well, we are that way. Sometimes we are the way that God provides for somebody else. And so we respond to God's providence by thanking him and taking our responsibility to care for others very, very seriously. God our Father provides for us as a good father should. And as a good father, he also protects us. I remember one time when our oldest daughter was very, very young. Um, none of the siblings were around yet, and she had just learned how to walk. And I remember one day when my wife and I were sitting in our living room on our couch, and 
and our daughter was walking all around the house, just getting familiar with how to use the legs, and she went into the kitchen, which is right next to the living room. And just a few moments later, she came walking out of the kitchen, holding a butcher knife. <laughs> now, we weren't in the habit of leaving butcher knives around, especially with a little child in the, in, the, in the house. How she got the butcher knife, we have no idea. Where she found it, we really don't know. Where it had been laying, we don't think it was in an easily accessible place, but regardless, she came out holding a butcher knife with the blade right up. This young child who was just learning to walk, holding the butcher knife, and that taught us a very important lesson about lives. That we always need far more protection than we could provide for ourselves. Certainly my daughter needed protection in that moment. To not stumble and stab herself or cut herself or to not just to do something dangerous with that knife. And our ability to protect our daughter, we were limited in some ways. Surprises happen. And this is why it's a good thing that God takes responsibility also for protecting us. Psalm 121 talks about this, where it says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Your Heavenly Father takes full responsibility for protecting you. Physical protection. And one of the ways he does that is by the use of his angels. Psalm 91 talks about angels, where it says that God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. I don't know if you are aware of any times in your life when you have been guarded by an angel. Um, I may have told you already about one of mine, but I'll tell it again, just in case you haven't heard it. It was shortly after I had gotten my driver's license, and I was driving with, my, with one of my younger sisters in our big blue 1977 Dodge Sportsman full-size van. Massive steering wheel, tiny little horn in the middle, um, just a big beast of a vehicle. It's awesome. Totally miss it. <laughs> my little sister, she was sitting next to me in the passenger seat. And I remember one time we're going down a highway about 45 miles an hour. That's what the speed limit was. And I remember very vividly looking at my sister, having a conversation with her. And as we're in the middle of the conversation, as I'm not looking at the road, my horn honked, which was a little bit strange because my hands were not on the horn. And the horn was this little thing right in the middle of the steering wheel that you really needed to lay into in order to make it work. But my hands were both at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock or pretty close to it. But the horn honked, which caused me to immediately look forward. And I looked forward and I saw that I was very quickly at 45 miles an hour approaching a red light where other vehicles were stopped. And so I slammed on the brakes and we slid across the road all the way up to the car that was in front of us. And we stopped about that short of the car in front of us. If my horn had not honked, I wouldn't have turned my head, wouldn't have seen the light, wouldn't have seen the cars, wouldn't apply the brakes, and we would have gone 45 miles an hour into the car in front of us. I have no logical explanation for how my horn honked that day other than to think that an angel honked my horn. I can't prove it, but that's my best explanation. We do know, however, from Scripture that angels are guarding us uh, quite frequently as ways of protecting us. But that's a promise that we get to hold in our hearts as we think about our lives and the lives of our loved ones, especially when they're in places where we don't have the ability to protect them. And of course, this doesn't mean that people will never get hurt or that bad things will never happen. We see that throughout scripture. One of my favorite examples, not that I was glad that something bad happened, but it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And that is Joseph in the Old Testament who was sold by his brothers. They didn't love him. That wasn't easy for him, but he was sold by his brothers and 
And then he went down a road that was very, very difficult for him, full of a lot of pain, full of a lot of sorrow, full of a lot of sadness and loneliness, being accused of things he wasn't guilty of, being thrown in prison and not being treated well at all. All sorts of horrible things that God did not stop from happening. But God did something good with it. That eventually put Joseph in a position where God was able to put him into a very powerful position where he was responsible for saving so many lives during a worldwide famine. God took something bad that had happened, so bad, and turned it into something really, really good. And it was an illustration of what God promises us in Romans chapter 8, where it says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That God is always eager to show that he is more powerful and that he is greater and bigger than all the worst things that could ever happen to an individual. And that he will. But just know as you go through life, that belief is going to be tested. Your faith in that promise is going to be tested. There are going to be things that you're going to see, things that you're going to go through, things that you're going to experience or that your loved ones will experience. They're going to make you wonder if God is really going to do what he says he will. Make something good come from it. And during those times, I want you to think about one thing. A day in the history of the world where it looked like God's ability to do anything good was dying. The day that Jesus, the Son of God, was hanging on a cross. And his Father in heaven wasn't doing anything to stop it from happening. The sky turned dark. The disciples had run away. They were scattered, watching from a distance. And then the Son of God died. And it looked like nothing good could come from this moment. But fast forward to Sunday morning, when Jesus' tomb was empty. And then to Sunday evening, where Jesus appeared to all of his disciples and showed them and us that our God really does always have the ability to bring the best kind of good from the worst kind of bad. That's the day he brought us the good of our place in heaven, the good news of the certainty of our salvation, the good news that we have a Savior who's more powerful than death itself and who's already forgiven every sin. Keep your eyes focused on that moment, and your Heavenly Father will provide the strength that you need to get through anything.